0: Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. I love your word I love the way it comforts me Are, are you an end-time victorious warrior? You know we're soldiers of the cross. We strap on the armor of light, and I just love that analogy. I, I think it's really cool. Are you ready to dive into the book of Revelation? All of chapter (laughs) 1? I'm so sorry. We are only going to do half of verse 1 again today and a little introduction. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow, I love it. You know, we started this adventure of a lifetime through every book of the Bible. We've made it through Leviticus. (laughs) And uh, the Lord really put it on my heart to do the book of Revelation. And then we'll uh, go back to a survey of the Old Testament. We're not going to get... No, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll do it. All right. So, Bible says this. In the last days, Luke chapter 21, verse 25. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on earth, dismay among the nation, and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Who knows what event he's talking about right there. There's only one event in prophecy that, has, that involves the sun, the moon, and the stars. Breaking of the sixth seal. All right, but we're going to get to that. All right, put your thinking caps on because this morning we are going to dive deep. Now, you may be wondering, how come we're only going to do half a verse? Because this verse answers one of the questions, biggest questions, that Orthodox Christians have. What's the biggest question you had when you became a Christian? I want you to consider that for a moment. It's one of the biggest reasons many people reject Christianity, and it's answered in the first half of Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. You think this is going to be a deep book? It's all in Revelation 1.1. By the way, uh, Trump, have you seen this coin? The temple coin? Uh, the uh, Midrash Institute in Jerusalem minted this coin, and it's got Trump's profile, and who's the dude behind him? Cyrus. Okay, what did Cyrus do? When they were held captive in Babylon, Cyrus came and took it over. And he made the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And Cyrus recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel all the way back in 4500 BC. So Trump did that too. But you see that other word up there on the top left? Balfour. Remember that? 1917. This is a half shekel. There's three declarations. Cyrus, restore and rebuild your temple. Jerusalem's the capital of Israel. Balfour, uh, uh, Britain called the Jews back to the land, 1917. Isn't it interesting how the Jews recognized that as the birth, really, of their nation? Not 1948. That opened the end time curtain. We talked about that. And Trump declaring Jerusalem the capital, and we're moving our embassy there May, probably 14th of this year on Israel's 70th anniversary. All of this could be prophetic. It's it's pretty amazing. So, It's just pretty good stuff. We will be blessed for studying the book of Revelation. Do you know that? How many of you know that? Have you been blessed when you've studied the book of Revelation? You know, a lot of people are more confused than blessed. (laughs) All right, it's the only book with promise of blessing to those who read it. Those who hear it, those who study it, and those who guard against the things which are written in it. Revelation 1-3, blessed is he who reads. Those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed or guard against, literally in the Greek, the things which are written in it. It's the only book in the New Testament with this warning as well. Revelation chapter 22, verse 18. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the books of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and the holy city, which are written in this book. Think that's a pretty severe warning? You know, Mormons have a problem with that verse. Why is that? They add to the prophecy of Scripture. Muslims have a problem with it because not only do they add to, but they take away from Scripture who Christ is many people have a problem with the book of Revelation and many orthodox Christians have a problem with the book of Revelation do you know that they have some questions and it all started with this guy right here who who knows who he is John Calvin right started Calvinism the tulip the five points Calvinism who knows what those are total depravity Unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. He started that and he wrote commentaries on the whole Bible except the book of Revelation. Why is that? Huh. The fact is many Bible teachers want Revelation taken out of the Bible. Do you know that? They refuse to teach it and in fact many scholars Say, it doesn't even belong in our Bible. It should be in the Apocrypha or the Pseudepigraphal books. Why are so many against the book of Revelation? I hate to say it, but 2 Corinthians 4.4 may be the reason. And in whose case the God of this world, speaking of Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving? Hmm, okay. Not that they're unbelieving, but who knows. Martin Luther said this about Revelation. My spirit cannot, aco- is anyone getting seasick yet? <laughs> it's like, uh, if, if that bothers anyone, I won't put it up there next time. Is it okay, the waves in the background? Oh, okay, because we're, we're, on, we're on a boat sailing towards truth, and, uh, you know, <laughs> if you need drama, I mean, we'll have it available next week. My spirit cannot accommodate itself to this book. For me, this is reason enough not to think highly of it. Christ is neither taught nor known in it. That's what Martin Luther said, who started the Protestant Reformation, one of the guys. Is Christ not taught in the book of Revelation? Hey, let's go over a few places where he is. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants What must soon take place. Jesus is the subject, not a revelation of future events, even though it is not just, but the revelation of who Christ is too. The glorified, victorious, powerful Christ is seen in the book of Revelation. He's not seen in any other book except Daniel. This Christ. We learn things about Christ that we wouldn't know if it wasn't for Revelation. Quick overview of some other things. Chapter 1, John's vision of Christ in all his glory. Christ is Savior and King in chapter 1. Jesus is coming again victorious in chapter 1. Christ is the highly exalted high priest who stands amongst the lampstands at the right hand of God the Father in chapter 1. Martin Luther, did you even read the book of Revelation? Jesus ministers in 2 and 3 to the churches and actually writes a personal letter. These letters are from Jesus Christ to you and me, to his church. You ever wish, man, God speak to me directly. Christ says, man, I wrote you letters. Right? The seven letters to the churches in chapters 2 and 3. By the way, which church are you this morning? Some are complacent, lukewarm. What church? Laodicea? Some Christians, about 200,000 Christians today, are being persecuted for the gospel. What church is that? Smyrna? How about Philadelphia? You're being faithful to the word of God. You're going out and witnessing and all of that. See, all of us fit one of these letters, and Christ himself are writing these letters to us and the church. Chapters 4 and 5, Christ is seen as the glorified Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah in the midst of the throne. And in chapter 6, he goes up to God the Father seated on the throne and takes the seven seals scroll. He's the Lamb that opens and is worthy and counted worthy to open the seven seals. Christ is the Lion in the midst of the nation and judge. Chapter 19, he is... The what bridegroom who comes for his church and the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's when he will drink wine again. At communion, that first communion, Christ said, I'll never drink it again till I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. That'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 19. Chapter 20, the thousand year reign of Christ on this earth, and we will reign with him. The ruling and reigning Christ. And then uh, the final judgment done by Jesus Christ, the great white throne judgment. So it's all about Christ. And not only what he will do, what is doing, but will happen in the future. The fact is simply, this is one of the most important books of the Bible. It reveals or unveils to us a lot of the theological truths that we've studied, like the Trinity. Salvation. Salvation. Christology, who Jesus Christ is. Remember, anything with a ology on the end of it, theology, Christology, soteriology, which is salvation study of, is from logos. And logos means what? The understanding or study of the logic and rationale behind something. Isn't it interesting that Christ is the logos? It's more than just word. A lot of us think, well, logos, that's this but logos literally is where we get our term what? Logic. Interesting. Christ is revealed as the logic. Should we use our brains when we study the Bible? Absolutely. All right. Wow. We're going to go deep today, guys. Just get ready. It's written to us, the church of the last days. It's the only New Testament book that is pretty much all prophecy. Now, we know there are some in Thessalonians, Matthew 24, and peppered throughout the New Testament are prophetic verses, but this book is pretty much dedicated to prophecy. Definition of prophecy we find in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. It says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no one else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring what? The end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, that's prophecy, saying my counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. All right. Lahaye, who wrote what? What did he write? One of the authors of the Left Behind series. Said this about, uh, not that I agree with him theologically on all things. But he did say this and I do agree with this. You cannot understand this book unless you take it what? Literally. Literally the way it was intended. Literally that is unless the facts of the immediate context indicate otherwise. The literal method of interpretation should be applied to this book just as it is for other books of scripture. Otherwise it cannot be understood and if you do not understand it you cannot receive a blessing by reading it all right so our hermeneutic, and by the way hermeneutics is the science of interpreting scripture is going to be to take this literally unless there's overwhelming evidence to treat it symbolically allegorically or metaphorically are you with me remember if i lose you raise your hand have me clarify i think we can do that all right is that a a good thing i also want to say when it's my opinion i'm going to step away from the pulpit, that sacred ground right there. I should take my boots off. (laughs) And I will say, this is my opinion, all right? Fair enough? All right, good. Prophecy, in Amos chapter three, verse seven, it says, surely the Lord God does nothing without revealing it through his servants, the prophets. We needed the book of Revelation. Otherwise, a lot of end time events couldn't happen because God had not revealed them yet until he revealed them in the book of Revelation. Are you with me? Okay. Wow, I can't wait. One of the biggest proofs we have for Scripture is fulfilled prophecy. Do you know that? Last week we talked about two-thirds of the prophecies in the Bible have already been fulfilled exactly as the prophets wrote them down. One-third deals with the end times, eschatology. And that's what we're going to dive into in this series in Revelation The most frequent command in the book is to look or behold, to look into, to understand, to study, to perceive, to look, behold, and really dig into it. The second one is this, do not be afraid. (laughs) You know the greatest command in Scripture, more than any other command? Fear not, do not be afraid. From Genesis to Revelation, that command is given more than any other command. Why? Because fear is the opposite of what? Faith and love. And i got to tell you this, as we peer into the events that are going to happen on this earth in the book of Revelation, they can strike fear. In fact, the Bible says we're to fear only one thing. What? God himself. Yeah, that reverent fear of of God himself. Do not be afraid throughout the book. Last week I told you the whole book was one chiistic Hebrew poetic form. I want to explain what I meant by that before we get into chapter 1 verse 1a. A chiism literally comes from the Greek letter chi or an x and so the first point like a goes with the last point in the poem like a down at the bottom. The second point b goes with the second to the last point b The third point C goes with the third to the last, and the middle points uh, are in the center and usually have a clarifying thing about the poem and everything that's going on. So here's a simple chiastic pattern, Mark chapter 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay, that's a Hebrew chiastic poetic form. The first goes with the last, the second goes with the second to the last. You got that? Now you fully understand Hebrew poetry. And (laughs) here's another one, Psalm 71. Hey, a prayer for deliverance. And it ends with a prayer for deliverance. Be from my youth, you are my God. At the very end, be from my youth, I am yours. See how they go together? This is Hebrew poetic form that builds to a Christian. And then it goes back and retraces where you came from on the following verses can you see it all right good all right here's another one isaiah 56 8 it starts off with the lord will rescue it ends with the lord will gather be blessed people be happy be joyful people see sabbath keepers see sabbath keepers uh, d blessing for the gentiles d invite for the gentiles and can you see how all of this goes together and it actually explains itself The whole book of Revelation is a chiasm, and there are so many in the Bible. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 says, A revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Revelation ends with chapter 22 verse 6, And he said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. See how it's repeated. It started that way, it ended that way. Revelation 1.3, blessed is he who reads, etc., etc., and it ends with, I testify to everyone who hears the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him plagues, etc., but blessed is he is the inference if you take the book of Revelation at face value. Another one is grace and peace be to you in Revelation 1.4, Revelation 22.21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. All right, so that's one example. In a, in a summary overview, there's a prologue and an epilogue in the book of Revelation. There's a preface and there's an ending. The first points are the letters to the churches and their imperfection. Every church almost except Philadelphia has something they need to correct. And then it ends with the victorious church and perfection. The second one is the authority of God over evil, the authority of God over evil exercise, warning, and judgments, and the consummation of the judgments. And then the center uh, is the center of the book, which we'll get to. Here's another way you could look at this chiism, The prologues at the end, the seven churches and the new Jerusalem. Remember the new Jerusalem descending out is what? For the bride of Christ, for the church, Right? Then we have the seven seals, and Christ conquers sin forever. Remember when Christ unseals the document? Who was the only being in the universe worthy to unseal the sealed document in Revelation chapter 6? Jesus Christ, right? And as he unsealed the document, it's at the breaking of the seventh seal that he took possession of the earth back from Satan. Do you know that? And that's when he began to reign. Thus, the seven seals and Christ conquers sin forever uh, in the chiasm of the book of Revelation go together. When he broke the seventh seal, he became the conquering king. Daniel chapter 7 was fulfilled, which we're going to read in a minute, when God the Father hands over all kingdom rule and authority to Jesus Christ, which is amazing, and Satan is cast once and for all finally out of heaven. That war in heaven takes place. Okay, at the breaking of the sixth and seventh seal. Then the trumpet judgments and the bulls of wrath go together. And then the heart of the book is Revelation 11:19 19 through uh, 15, 4. And we're going to get into that. It kind of restates all of that. I'm going to skip those. All right, the big picture. The church, since John wrote the book of Revelation, has tried to understand the events that would take place in the last days. It is meant to clarify who Jesus is what the church needs to do, and everything that will happen in the future. Remember, the Lord God does nothing without first what? Revealing it to his servants, the prophets, from Amos, right? Okay. It is the unveiling, and we must remember that. Our stance, we're going to let, let the text speak for itself. And again, this is interactive. If you have a question, raise your hand. Um, already went over that. Okay. Quick timeline just to see where we're headed. Uh, Man's history to the current events. The next event will probably be what? The Psalm 83 war. That will be a catalyst for what? Ezekiel 38 through 39 war. Then the Antichrist will rise. The first five seals, the abomination of desolation. Then the tribulation begins, a time of Jacob's trouble. And we're going to go through this in depth And that prophetic marker is the sun grows dark, the moon doesn't give us light, and there's a meteor shower, stars fall from the sky. Um, It's a day like none other, and we're going to talk about that. So it's the last seven-year period, and it will end with a second resurrection, final judgment, new heaven and new earth at the end of the millennial reign. All right, so when did uh, Revelation was written? Christ ministered right around A.D. 25. How many of you knew that? When was he born? Probably B.C. what? 5 to 8 B.C. He wasn't born. He was about 30 years old when he began to minister. That puts it about what? A.D. 25. Are you with me? Okay. Um, 70 years later, John wrote the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, in about 95 A.D. Okay. Revelation 1.1. Here we go the revelation of jesus christ which god gave him to show his bond servants the things which must soon take place we've read this hundreds of times have we not some of you are thinking are you out of your mind the whole sermon today is going to be on the first half of verse 1 have you ever really pondered this verse Do you know why Luther, Calvin, and many others reject the whole book of Revelation? They won't study it. They don't want to deal with it. It's because of this one verse. Huh. And this verse will answer one of the biggest questions in Orthodox Christianity today. Do you know what it is? What's the problem with Revelation chapter 1, verse 1? All right. Let's dive deep. I underlined it. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God, speaking of the Father, gave who? Jesus, to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Ponder that for a moment. What is the implication of that? Revelation means the apocalypse, to unveil, to reveal, reveal that which is hidden or unknown. The revealer knows something that the person he reveals it to does not know. What is the problem with Revelation chapter 1, verse 1? God the Father is revealing to Jesus Christ something that Jesus doesn't know. What's the problem with that verse? Well, if they're one the same then wouldn't be either The only way you can translate this verse is that Jesus Christ did not know the things written in this book, and God the Father had to reveal them to him, which he in turn revealed to John, who in turn wrote for us. Now, do you think that's a problem? Wow, I got to tell you, this verse says that God the Father knows something that Jesus didn't. Gave, by the way, is literally didomi, where we get the the, uh, term dictation. What does that mean? God the Father dictated, verbally told Jesus Christ everything in the book of Revelation, and Christ told it to his angel, who in turn told it to John, who recorded it for us. All right. Uh, we're going to get into that. So explain the Trinity. I believe this is one of the biggest questions in Orthodox Christianity. Okay, anyone agree? What are you usually taught? Can't understand it. It's like a four-leaf clover. It's like a three-leaf clover. It's like water. It's like sunshine that, with a prism that breaks up into different frequencies, a wavelengths. Does the Bible say any of that? Never. It doesn't. We're going to interpret it literally exactly as the Bible is given to us, and we're going to come to answer this question this morning. Wow. God in the New Testament is always referring to the Father, except in two verses. Did you know that? Every time you read the, the term God in the New Testament, it's always a reference about God the Father, Except for two. What's one of them? Thomas, I will not believe unless you, I put my finger in your nail prints and thrust my hand in your side. And when he did, what did he say? Oh, my Lord and my God. Is Jesus fully God? Yes, absolutely. Trinity, what does it mean? The Trinity is three persons that make up one Elohim, Elohim is the Hebrew term for God, and it's plural. Gods. Hmm. we the Godhead. The glaring question is this. Why was this information veiled from Jesus, and why would the Father have to reveal it to him? If Christ is God, he's omniscient. What does that mean? He knows everything. Jesus answered that for us. You got it, Angie, in Mark chapter 13, verse 32. That's exactly right. It says this, But of the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor who? The Son, son, but the Father alone. Hmm. For I did not speak, John 12, 49, on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. So the Father told Christ, could we say revealed to him what to say and speak? Absolutely. In his ministry on earth, more than that, Christ himself said, I do not know the day or the hour that I'm going to return, referring to the rapture of the church, but only the Father knows. How could Jesus not know about the timing of his rapture, uh, of his return? he answers that as well. It's the kenosis in Philippians 2.5. Who knows what the kenosis is? It's a Greek term that means emptying, right? Now note this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, that's kenosis, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. Emptied literally means to give up authority, power and position to make empty what did christ do he emptied himself he gave up many of those powers that he had with god the father prior to the creation of the world and prior to his coming to die on the cross what did christ give up for us everything everything creator, sustainer of all things, all powerful, all knowing. He gave it up and became a developing embryo in Mary's womb and was born and needed his diapers changed, had to learn how to talk. He went through all of that. He gave up all of that for us. We're going to get there. So three persons, one God, Elohim. Elohim is a singular plurality. God gave up everything for us he became dependent on God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Who led him out to the wilderness to be tempted? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit led him. He had to be led. He was reliant on the Holy Spirit just as we are. John 17:7. 7, now they had come to know that everything you have given me is from you. Je- Jesus speaking to the Father. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. The biggest question, how can they be one but three? Have you ever asked it? Has anyone ever asked you that? Has anyone ever said Christianity doesn't make sense? Is it a schizophrenic guy up there with three modes of operation? Guess what? That's heresy. That's called in theology terms modalism. Let me explain it. In the Old Testament, God was just the Father. In the New Testament, God was just Jesus. One person, three different hats. Are you with me? It's called modes of operation, modalism. This is heresy. And now, God is just the Holy Spirit. Hmm. We did the Apostles' Creed after Communion. Did it clearly identify all three members of the Trinity? Oh yeah, I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in his Son, Jesus Christ. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Thus orthodoxy, three persons make up one God. I got to tell you, is it three gods? No, then there wouldn't be one God. Are you with me? Using mathematics, it's really simple. It's not 1 plus 1 plus 1, because that would equal 3. But it could be 1 times 1 times 1 still equals 1. Hmm. But I kind of threw that in there as a joke. <laughs> because even though, it, yeah, it makes sense mathematically, I've got a minor in mathematics. Sometimes I just go there. We must define oneness in the Bible itself. Do you agree that anything that's meant to be understood in scripture will be given to us in scripture, how to understand it? It's one of the rules of hermeneutics and it's called interpret scripture with what? Scripture, okay. Can't put our own ideas or what we've been taught or any of that. Scripture has to define itself. So if a theological term, phrase or uh, anything is given in the Bible, somewhere else in the Bible, that term, phrase, etc. will be explained so that we can understand it. All right. So, are there any other groups of two or more in the Bible that are one just like the members of the Trinity are one? Are there any groups of two or more in the Bible that are one just like, exactly like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. If if we can find groups, yeah, that are that are one, just like the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are are one, we have the answer to the question. Okay, how about this? Oneness in the Bible, John chapter ten, verse thirty. Jesus said, "I and the Father are one." Same word in Mark chapter 10 verse 8. Man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. How about this one, Romans 12.4? And just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function... So we who are many are one, same word, in Christ and individually members of one another. And here it even gets more clear when Christ prayed this. John chapter 17, verse 11. I am no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they, what? may be one even or just like we are. Okay, does the Bible give us the definition of oneness? It does, okay. (laughs) The Bible, God is not the author of confusion, folks. If you have been taught your whole life that you can't understand the Trinity, you never even tried to, and maybe you never even tried to figure out what the bible says about the trinity i know i didn't i was raised in church i always said "Ah, you can't understand it don't even try yet the bible seems clear all right so what do we have three persons one godhead marriage two persons become one church many persons become one and jesus said exactly like he and the father are one so is there any mystery there Let's dig a little deeper. Who right now is king of kings and lord of lords? He doesn't receive it till the second coming. Remember? All right, right after the Antichrist is judged and thrown in the lake of fire, it's from Daniel chapter 7, starting at verse 9. So this is at the second coming. The Antichrist and all the people that have taken the mark of the beast are gathered at Megiddo to fight Christ at the second coming. Remember that? He comes back. We're going to get into it later in Revelation. With the word of his mouth, he slays them. And the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire at the second coming. So it's right after that event in Daniel uh, chapter 7 verses 1 through 8, it talks about that. Verse 9, it says, I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. Who are we talking about there? God the Father. Father. All right. Do you know this? Everywhere in the Bible where it talks about God the Father, he is given a physical description. This is Daniel seeing God the Father sitting on the throne with white hair. Okay. Guess what happens? Skip down to verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Do you get the picture? Here's God the Father seated on the throne, white hair like mine, probably longer, and Christ is presented before him. Is there anything confusing about that? Two persons that are one, just like a man and a woman in marriage are one, just like a church that's a functioning body of Christ are one. And Jesus said exactly like he and the Father are one. So two persons, but they are completely united. Christ came up to God the Father, and this is when he gets the kingdom. Verse 14, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. You want some more proof? In Daniel, God the Father gave all rule and authority to Jesus Christ at the second coming. Now, I want you to get this picture. Rapture, marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the church being united with the bridegroom and we celebrate at this great wedding feast. And what gift does God give God the Father give Jesus Christ after the wedding. Second coming, all rule and authority, and Christ reigns for a thousand years. Are you with me? Okay. All right. After the final judgment, Jesus gives all rule and authority back to the Father. Okay. The Trinity... If you just use the Bible, is not confusing. It's not hard to understand. They are three persons. They have subordinate relationships. They converse with one another, right? Okay, let's keep going. 1 Corinthians 15:23. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he, Jesus, hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, When he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign, Jesus must, until he's put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that he will abolish is death. When does that happen? At the end of the millennial reign, at the final judgment, remember, he throws death and Hades into the lake of fire. He conquers death once and for all. And when he's done that, at the end of the millennial reign... He gives it all back to the Father. Verse 27, For he has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is expected who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one, God the Father, who subjected all things to him, so that God, speaking of the Father, may be all in all. Did you get that? That is a very confusing thing. But what we have is right now, God the Father is King of kings and Lord of lords. Christ is subordinate to the Father at the right hand of the Father doing what? Making intercession for us. When you pray, you go through your high priest, and the high priest serves God. That's Christ voluntarily subordining himself to God the Father. All right. Whew. 1 Corinthians 14, For God is not a God of confusion. Are you confused? <laughs> but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. God has revealed everything we need to know about him in the Bible. I want to say if we just use a Bible, which we have to, I think all our questions will be answered. Mike? Oh, no, they're fully equal. Well, we're going to get into that. Hold, that. hold that thought. Okay, just like in a marriage, man and woman are completely equal, but there's a subordinate relationship. Just like in a church, before God, we are all completely equal, yet we have a pastor and elders and, and all. Does that make sense? Okay. Are they not fully one, then? Hold that thought. 1 Corinthians 4 6. We have to run to the Bible. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that in us you might learn not to exceed what? That which has been written. Anything beyond this is speculation. Okay, right now we know God the Father sits on the throne in heaven. Daniel saw him. He's got white hair. In fact, John is going to give a physical description of God the Father on the throne with Jesus Christ at his right hand. The Bible is clear. Why has orthodoxy made it so confusing? Hmm. 2 John 1.9. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Deuteronomy 4.2. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it. Proverbs 30.5 and 6. Every word of God is tested. Do not add to his words, lest he reprove you, and you be proved a liar in Revelation 22, we already read, don't add to the words of the prophecy or take away. God has always existed as a triunity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Most often, God in the whole Bible is called God, God the Father. Christ is called Lord, Messiah, Savior, Son of Man, Son of God. And the Holy Spirit is almost always called the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit. All right. Jesus was with God, John 17, 5. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Okay. That's pretty easy to understand. We have the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally existent, and before the world was created, there was God the Father, Jesus Christ, second person, and Holy Spirit, third. All right. John seventeen twenty four. Father, I desire that uh, they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 talks about a prophecy about the Messiah. He'll come from Bethlehem. Too little of the clans of Judah from you. One will go forth to be ruler in Israel. His going forth from long ago, from the days of eternity. What's Micah prophesying about the Messiah here? He's eternal. All right. Genesis 1.26, we have the Father and the Son conversing with one another. And they said, let us make man in what? Our image. A few chapters down, Adam and Eve... Have a son. And guess what they say about the son that Adam birthed? Wow. This son is in my image, according to my likeness, the same word, exactly. But this is the father and the son conversing before we were even created. We need to know all three members of the Godhead, John seventeen three. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 14:16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you, speaking of the third member of the Trinity. So God is made up of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Eternally in a subordinate relationship All one, just like a man and a woman in marriage are one, just like a church is one. And Christ said, exactly like me and my father are one, so you guys are one. So they never lost their oneness except when Christ on the cross said what? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that means that God looked away because Christ became sin and that was the only time their oneness was severed completely. Huh. First John 5:19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one verse 20. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. 1 Corinthians 8, four. Therefore, concerning eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, From whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Two distinct, spatially separate persons that are completely one. All right, the Bible is clear. Jesus said this, John 17, 3, This is eternal life that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had before the world was. All right, John 20, 17, Jesus said to her, Remember this? Easter resurrection Sunday morning. Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But I go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God, this is Jesus speaking, and your God. Second Peter one, 2 Peter 1:2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What you will find is every author in the New Testament always made a distinct distinction between the person of God the Father and Christ the Son. There's no confusion in their mind. There's no confusion if you just run to the Bible. The confusion is from orthodoxy that says, you can never understand the Trinity. Bible never says that. Well, I I think I'm going to answer that in a minute, but right now God is omnipresent, right? What does that mean? He's everywhere, and we're going to get to the verse. Where can I go from your spirit? Aha. If I descend into hell, behold, you're there. Okay, so God's spirit is everywhere. The Holy Spirit, even though he is a third person, he's everywhere. Where's God the Father right now? He's on the throne in heaven. Where's Jesus Christ? He's at the right hand of God as we pray, making intercession for us. Where's the Holy Spirit? Everywhere. And they are one, thus, where the Spirit of the Lord is, so's the Father, so's the Son. Are you with me? So right now, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, yet we could say Christ lives in us because they are one. Are you with me? Okay. Even though physically Christ is in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. Okay, but we'll, we'll get to that. All right, so this oneness that Christ is talking about here, Father, make the church one just like, exactly like you and I are one. Here, Jesus Christ himself clarifies any problem with a conceptualization of the Trinity. Three persons that are one. Just as a church are a multitude of people that have one purpose in full agreement, unified. Thus, Trinity comes from tri-unity. Three that are completely uni- united. Are you with me? Okay. There should be no question about the Trinity or the Godhead after this. Three persons with spatially separate existence. Now, when the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven opened up. So here we get all three members of the Trinity. Christ was in the water. He comes up. Holy Spirit descends like bodily form, like a dove. And God the Father from heaven spoke, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. All three members of the Trinity. All the visions of John of the throne of God sees God the Father on the throne and Christ walking among the the candlesticks. Two spatially separate persons Yet they are one, just like we are persons, but one just like they are. All right. Whew. Okay. No member of the Trinity is any better, stronger, or greater than the other, yet there is voluntary submission and hierarchy. 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. Man is the head of woman. wise man the head of woman? It goes back to what the curse hey God created us equal out of Adam's side and they were to be helpmates with each other and equal yet as a result of the curse what did God say part of the curse you're going to have labor and childbirth painful labor and you will serve your husband be subordinate to your husband are we equal yes in marriage are we equal Yes, but there's a voluntary submission because God has said the husband is going to rule over the wife until the curse is complete. (laughs) And God the Father is the head of Christ. Is that hard to understand? Two separate persons, but they're one, yet the Father is the head of Christ, just like man is the head of woman. Two individuals that are one in marriage and a church, one just like they are one. Whew. The Spirit is subordinate to the Father and Son, but He's the only member of the Trinity that we can't blaspheme. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. Remember, Jesus said, You can blaspheme Me, and it will be forgiven you. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it will not be, be forgiven you in this age or the age to come. Hmm. Isn't the Bible... Didn't it say something like the first shall be last and the last shall be first? Ah, even though the Holy Spirit is the workhorse, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he's the only member that's exalted to the point that we can't blaspheme. Hmm. The Holy Spirit is without form and is everywhere. Where can I go from your spirit? Psalm 139.7. Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, uh, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of a dawn, of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold uh, of me. So God is omnipresent through the agency of the Holy Spirit. We know that Christ is at the right hand of God the Father. We're told that throughout the New Testament. Colossians 3, one, we We'll see a glimpse of what that looks like when we get into later chapters of Revelation. All right. The reason we spent so much time on the question is people had questions on this. Folks, I got to tell you, we have read Revelation chapter 1 verse 1, and I bet you you never even thought about the idea that Christ, God the Father, had to reveal this to him. In the one verse, I believe it answers the big question of Orthodox Christianity, how to explain the Trinity. It's simple. They are three persons that are completely one and unified. Even the term triunity, Trinity, is all about that. It's not one person that has split personalities. When Christ was baptized, he didn't like, you know, somehow mutate and speak himself up there and the Holy... It's not hard to understand, folks. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear. Do you have an understanding of the Trinity now, hopefully? That's why we spent so much time on Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Wow. For next week, uh, read chapter 1 because we will delve into chapter 1 in earnest next week. If you have questions, email me. Um, man, it's it's going to be an exciting study. For now, let's be ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Amen. Matthew twenty four twelve. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. The word love there is agapeo, where we get the term what agape, which is Christian godly love. Love one another, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. Folks, let's go out and be ambassadors. Let's pray to God the Father in Jesus' name, our high priest. Let's, if, by the way, if you have questions about the Trinity or question anything that the Word of God taught us this morning, I'd love to get emails and talk to you about it. Amen? Let's worship the Lord. Come on up, guys. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course and we'll see you next week. I love your word. I love.